I'm David Demchuk, the author of the experimental queer horror novel Red X. Many readers think queer horror is just for queer people. I'm here to tell you it's not. We have the same dreams. We have the same fears. Red X tells the story of gay men who are being taken from their friends and family by an ageless supernatural being. But it's also my story, and the story of friends that I have lost over the decades. Join me in Red X as we explore my darkest fears together. Red X is published by Strangelight, an imprint of Penguin Random House, and is available at fine bookstores everywhere. From the host of This Is Horror Podcast comes a dark thriller of obsession, paranoia, and voyeurism. After relocating to a small coastal town, Brian discovers a hole that gazes into his neighbor's bedroom. Every night she dances and he peeps. Same song, same time, same wild and mesmerizing dance. But soon Brian suspects he's not the only one watching and she's not the only one being watched. They're watching is the Wicker Man meets Body Double with a splash of Suspiria. They're watching by Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella is available from thisishorror.co.uk, Amazon, and wherever good books are sold. Hey, it's Well Red Beard. Uh, I appreciate you being here. I'm back full time on my channel. I would love for you to come over and subscribe. Just search Well Red Beard on YouTube. Um, I delve deep into horror. I've spent the last three years uh, reading a ton of independent small press horror. There's treasure to be found there, and I go out there and find it for you. I, I'm not afraid to tell you the books that aren't great while telling you the books that are great. I don't break hearts or hurt feelings, but if a book doesn't work for me, I will tell you that, and I'll tell you why. I'm on a new mission now to to go back and dig into some great horror from the 80s and 90s. I'm working my way through Robert McCammon's books. I'm going to look at all of Peter Straub's work. I'm going to do uh, Brian Keene. I've got aspirations to go back and do J.F. Gonzalez. A lot of the greats. So you have a good idea of where to start. I have a video up for J.F. Gonzalez's Survivor, so you can see what all the fuss is about. I recently read Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, so you can see what all the fuss is about. Uh, I just want you to come over and subscribe. I'm trying to grow the thing. I appreciate you taking a look at it. This is Well Read Beard. I hope you're enjoying all your books as much as I am. If not, you're reading the wrong damn books. Hi, uh, my name is Erica T. Worth, and I'm the author of White Horse that's out with Flatiron McMillan November 1st, and it's an indigenous literary horror novel. Um, it's about Carrie, who despises her mother because she thinks she abandoned her when she was two days old, um, and she loves heavy metal, and she loves horror. Those are the things she loves. But when her um, cousin Debbie uh, gives her an old bracelet of her mother's, Carrie's like, yeah, thanks, and basically tosses it aside. And, um, but when she touches it, her mother starts haunting her, the ghost of her mother, and this monster begins to invade her dreams. And so Carrie decides that she, uh, guesses she should find out what happened to her mother after all. And, uh, one of the bits of ins inspiration for this novel was, um, had to do with my grandmother, as I had been told all of my life that my grandmother had suicided. Um, but when a cop looked at the, um, death certificate for my mother he said to her that it sort of looked like it had been doctored and the family came to wonder if her husband um had murdered her and so that um controversy had has never been resolved and i think in some ways the tension between those two 
uh, potential very, very, very different facts um, in some ways kind of like stayed inside my brain and erupted into this novel. Voice sound weird to you? Always sounds, sounds fine to me. <laughs> well, I I have it so I can hear my own voice in the microphone now, just because it kind of helps me here not to interrupt people. Right. Mm. Um, take notes, Brian. No, just kidding. But uh, yeah, hi, Trevor. This is uh, really exciting for us. Yeah. Thanks for asking me to to, uh, to come on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. pleasure, man. Absolutely, nice. our pleasure. Very nice to talk to you and, and uh, uh, put a face to a Twitter presence. <laughs> yeah, that, I, that's why I love doing the video version because you can yeah, um, yeah, you get to know someone a whole lot better that way. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, you guys right. just had Jor Lansdale. Yeah, we had Lansdale on a few times. We had him on with uh, David Morell last night, and that was really cool just to hear you know two guys who have really been around and you know done yeah. a lot of cool stuff in the genre um, just talk to each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Be a spectator there. They, were yeah, talking, right? they they brought Frank Sinatra a lot more than I thought, and they had some <laughs> really funny Harlan Ellison stories that deals and with Frank Sinatra. Oh, yeah. Lance those impressions. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get three words in without Joe interrupting, and that's not to say he's rude, but he's just uh, he's a very powerful presence, and and we're in very comfortable terms with him now. And yeah, I Brennan was like to Casey. Man, he, he must have had an interesting life growing up. Which, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Jesus, um, you guys want to get started? Sure. Yeah. Welcome to Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brian LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Today, we are joined by one of, to speak for Brennan on this one, too, one of our favorite artists, um, Trevor Henderson, also a writer. Say hello, Trevor. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And this is our uh, third annual Halloween special. The first one was, was with David Michael Wilson, Bob Pastorella. This is horror guys. Then the second one was Janine Pipe last year. And now we got Trevor. Um, it, it's truly an honor, man. You're you're super easy to talk to. Oh, which thank is, you. Before social media, you know, it, it, you just you see all these people that you love their artwork, you love their books, music, whatever. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but before I started to really talk to people, I, I just put them on a pedestal. I was too nervous to talk to them. But now you, you just find out most people are super down to earth. Yeah, yeah. That's been my experience. Absolutely. It's just they're just regular. It's just a regular. It's just a guy. It's just a regular guy. Yeah. It's, not, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's not a big deal in any way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but let's let's dive into what got you into horror, because you are just all over the place with your art soon to be with your writing, too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Are you, Do you mean like? 
because I've loved horror all my all my life. Do you mean like what? what Start at the beginning, man. <laughs> Give us um, the origin story. I've I've mentioned this on a couple other podcasts before, but it's all my dad, um, who uh, is a diehard, lifelong horror fan. And um, when I was really young, he really encouraged me to get into that and uh, encouraged me drawing monsters and 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 writing about monsters and all that good stuff. He used to work. Um, he's retired now, but he used to work really er- into the early mornings, unloading trucks at like big grocery store warehouses and stuff. So he'd come home at like two a.m. on a school night, and I'd be, you know, like an nine or 10 year old and he would wake me up in bed and we'd sneak downstairs in the basement and watch like <laughs> army of darkness and return living dead and like incredible melting man and just whatever happened to be uh on the docket for that night and then you know if my mom woke up she, i'd hide uh in the co- <laughs> behind the couch until she went back to bed and then we'd, we'd keep watching whatever gnarly shit he was showing me that he absolutely should not have been showing me at that age but uh, it was a very positive influence on me and, um, you know, helped me really associate, you know, hor- the horror genre in in all its many storied forms uh, as a very cozy, um, kind of nostalgic, kind of very comfortable thing for me. Um, so I guess that was the start of all that. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, yeah. And you know what? I'm just going to read. I was telling one of my best friends. Uh, back when I say back at home, I mean in Massachusetts, my home state. Uh, yeah. I was telling him, me and him talk about the show. He was actually shout out to Mason Craddock. He was the one that I first talked about starting a podcast um, oh, cool. a couple of years before I actually started one. Uh, so I just we talk about who's on every now and then, and I mentioned you, and I didn't have to tell him anything because he's actually a huge fan. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> he said, tell him that since I saw Siren Head, it always gives me an uneasy feeling being alone around power lines at sunset. Oh, amazing. <laughs> but seriously, some of his creations, I swear, I expect to see jump out at me from the dark of the road. So many amazing, creepy stuff. His mind is a treasure trove of creepy creations. And he had a question. Did you come up with Momo? No, Momo is actually an art piece. Um, I forget the artist's name, forgive me, um, but it's an art piece uh, that was part of a show. It's a Japanese artist who made this sculpture. Like you can, you can find photos. Of, you know, the the face of Momo is the very known thing. But you can there's creepy. there's photos of the whole thing, and it's got like it's like a, a bird woman on on two arms with no legs, um, and it was kind of co opted into becoming this weird like TikTok uh instagram fad where it was people i don't even know if it ever actually happened in this way but you know parents became obsessed with the idea that it was like you know it would pop out and do a jump scare and tell kids to cut their own wrists and kill themselves and and i I don't think that ever was happening but like i think the artist got a bunch of hate for it and he ended up like burning the sculpture a because it was rotting and it was very old and b because it was just like nobody deserves the kind of nonsense that was was coming down on him for that um i think that was like a year ago or two but i remember around the time i I did get a bunch of parents reaching out to me and being like did you make this how dare you encourage kids to do it i didn't even that's not even one of my monsters like i didn't even do that one (laughs) um but yeah super scary face on that thing <laughs> when slender man when the actual murders were happening with the yeah. um little the 12 year olds my wife and i had a conversation because i mean as long as she's known me i've been uh i had a pension i have a pension for horror and yeah um long story short she's like well what would you do if you were in that scenario and you were the creator 
Um, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's something all of us got to think, but yeah, at the end of the day, I've thought of both sides of the argument. That's not my responsibility. No. Like it, yeah. it, it is insane to think one person can be responsible. You can put all the warnings on it. It's not the artist's responsibility to, to parent your children. That That's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that I'd feel uh, terrible for yeah. the, Oh for, yeah. But absolutely. I wouldn't stop doing what I'm doing. No, I mean, like, you know, that's that's a terrible that's a nightmare for, for me. I, I, you know, knock on wood, nothing like that ever, ever happens with Siren Head or any any of the creatures <laughs> I've made. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you just got to put out what you want to put out into the world. And, you know, if it's you can put out all the precautions you want. And if someone's going to take it in a certain way, someone's going to take it in that way. And there's not really much you can do, unfortunately. Um, yeah. God, horrible case, though. Jesus. Yeah, and there's actually one more thing that Mason said that you you probably find interesting. Him, yeah. his family has this place in East Corinth, uh, Vermont, and I've been there once. Just it's too far for me to go to as much as I would like. But the cool thing about that town is that's where they shot a lot of Beetlejuice the movie. <laughs> oh. Okay. Cool. And, yeah, and he showed me the hill. I got pictures of it if you ever wanted to see. But I, that where the hill is, where the main house is, it's the, yeah. there's no house there anymore. I, the bridge is still there. Uh, the hardware store is actually in pretty deplorable condition. The mm-hmm. owner just, it, it's really you'd think with Beetlejuice that there would be a tour there. You'd think so. I mean, I think it goes either one way or the other. Like you either get you know, the gas station from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is like a real tourist destination now. And you can get barbecue and there's a big prop chainsaw out front. You can like throw around above your head if you want. Or, you know, it just people don't want that kind of trade coming through, like tourist trade coming through. And they just try and it just falls to, you know, it doesn't get maintained in that way, I guess. Um, Yeah, there was pretty much like there's like five people there. It, It was nothing. And same with Martha's Vineyard and Jaws, like, I asked around. There's there's no tours, which the is Jaws ins- one is is wild to me. Like you yeah, think the Jaws right. one would be yeah. crazy because people who like Jaws like really like Jaws are are hardcore about it. Is it's one of those movies where like the fan bases are really really into it. I think it's rampant. Uh, rampant. Yeah, exactly. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you guys have been to Vermont, but like I, I've been to I've been throughout the entire New England area. But Vermont's pretty, it's beautiful, but at night it's super fucking dark. So just to paint an image of what he's about to say, he said, every time I drive to Vermont, which is a lot in the dark, and there's a long stretch of dark highway, he says, I always picture and expect a Trevor Henderson creature <laughs> to come running out into the road. It scared, it scarred me for life after seeing his creations. That is incredible. Highest of compliments, man. That's my that if that is my legacy, uh, you know, that and and encouraging little kids to draw their own much better monsters as they grow up. Uh, like those two, I can I could die tomorrow, and that's like perfect for me. Have you ever <laughs> thought, you know what, my my ultimate dream is one day I want to be in a position where I could on a global level promote literacy to children and adults. Yeah. It's amazing. I remember we'll talk about scholastic later in the episode, yeah. but I mean, all three of us, probably most listeners, the Scholastic Fair, that was just yeah. like, it beat Christmas, okay? Oh, yeah, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was obsessed with it. Um, I never got into, like, the Christopher Pike train. Um, I, I didn't either. I was R.L. Stein. I, I somehow dodged that completely, but I was all R.L. Stein. 
Um, and I was all about the scary stories till in the dark and a lot of the weird knockoff in between books that were like kind of trying to cash in on those two properties. Mm-hmm. I always ate those up like weird, like spine chillers or spine tinglers or any of those little uh, in between series. And then a bunch of YA, just like standalone horror novels, um, were like the, the, my bread and butter for a while before I jumped into my dad's Stephen King's and just went from there. <laughs> Have you ever thought about, um, exploring doing just that is writing books about how to create like you know basically being the bob ross of yeah creation for children i mean that would be amazing um it's not something i've thought about uh extensively but man i would be all over that uh i've been asked a couple times to do like little like zoom talks to classes i've done one or two in the past and that's always super fun um but man i would love i would love to do that maybe like you know, if the Scholastic book catches on, and there's the whole like R.L. Stein-esque series, then I can, you know, retire at like 40, 50 years and just talk to kids about scary stuff. That'd be amazing. I'm getting excited about that because my, yeah. kid's, my kid's three and it's very possible for you to realistically do that while he's at a very pertinent age of that yeah. excitement. Wow. Oh, yeah. Cool. No, man, kids getting excited about monsters. That's the best. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Um, I can't believe I didn't write this down as no. I'm sorry I cut you off, but I have to. No, no, you're good. One of my favorite shows growing up. Well, you're a 90s kid, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was, uh, yeah, I was around like a, a, I was intaking media in the 90s, early 90s. I was, yeah. Me me too. So I bring that up because one of my favorite shows was Our Real Monsters. And I want to hear, I want to hear your take on that or any other show growing up. Well, justice for Our Real Monsters, because Monsters Inc. just stole the whole goddamn plot from uh real monsters uh with like way way tamer monster designs um if you ever look up the concept art for for monsters inc the concept art oh my god the monster designs are so much cooler and weirder and the style they were going to do it in was way uh it was just way better i understand maybe it didn't translate um but we were stole it was stolen from us but All Real Monsters was my one of my favorites back then um i was all about those various nickelodeon shows and um, just the fact one of the characters was like a uh, chubby dude, like a Danny DeVito torso with like <laughs> eyeballs in its in its palms. That is like, so dead on. <laughs> I've never thought of that. That's great. So good. Um, yeah, God, that's a that's a show that's due for a, a reexamination. I'm sure it's going to pop up in like five years or something. People will be like, remember this one? They did Rocco's <laughs> Modern Life movie. That was that they was did. not too long ago. They just did a Courage the Cowardly Dog meets Scooby-Doo movie. Like, it's no, there's no... I forgot about that. Yeah, right? It just kind of slipped it out un- unnoticed. But, yeah, All Real Monsters meets, like, the Wild Thornberries or something. I'm sure it's coming, like, <laughs> 2025. Courage the <laughs> Cowardly Dog was one of my favorite shows, probably, like, a preteen or whatever. But, man, that show is fucked up. Yeah, I've. that's a show I, I also completely somehow missed when I was a kid. And it's great I'm, as an adult, too, if you're stoned, too, man. Yeah. <laughs> some of the some of the stuff in those episodes is 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 wild. Um, yeah, we I did a little marathon of those with friends last year, I think, um, and watched them just as a, a first time or never having seen any before. Hmm. It was it's really good. It holds up really well. Um, yeah. Weird, like Midwest folk horror, like channeled through like a Nickelodeon kids show. Yeah, it's got excellent atmosphere and uh, ambience, mm-hmm. creepy ambience. Brennan, please jump in, sir. I actually want to kind of go back to when you were talking about driving through Vermont, looking into like, uh, say, the dark woods and imagining a monster. I feel like that's 
that that's almost the aesthetic I think of when I think of your art, Trevor. It's and the, I'm wondering, you know, it's the, what? it's the it's the that's what started that idea is what started that art the art. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go. No, that's okay. That's that's kind of my question. Like, where does that start? You talked about some of the movies you watched with your with your dad. Yeah. What what are some early influences that made you you know just kind of picture that dark room, that dark forest, that dark alley, and what could be lurking in there? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, I've been drawing horror stuff all my life, um, but it wasn't until like 2018 or so that I got onto the kind of track that I'm on now. And the initial idea of it was because I started out doing it like purely digital without the photo element at all. But I still wanted to re- recreate, um, do like a moment from a found footage horror film for a found footage horror film that does not exist. And then pair it with, uh, you know, the the Twitter limit, you know, flash fiction, just like as many characters as Twitter can give me to try and give it just enough context. And between those two things, can I do like, can I, can I give the experience of a, of a found footage horror movie in like an instant? Um, But it's definitely the choice to have it like, you know, uh, suburbs and like big city alleys and like dark streets, like places that a lot of people who would see it on Twitter, you know, go by every day or it's outside of their home. I think that, by grounding whatever monster or horror you're drawing in that kind of environment, it gives it like this uh, weird sense of recognition in the viewer. Like you, it's it's places you know. So even though if that's not your house or your driveway, it could be. It's very very close. Like it's it's the same sort of thing. So it it's just like one step closer to giving it the effect of it being in the real world, a real recognizable world um, that you know hopefully paired with you know, texture and lighting and, you know, obscuring just the right amount of details and playing attention like shadow and all that uh, gives you that half a second thing where your brain has to catch up with. Obviously, this is drawn on a photo. You know, if I can make someone doubt it for half a half a millisecond and maybe like get someone in that way, then then, you know, that's the entire purpose of, of everything about it. Um, and I think that's less common now because. I've been doing it for like four years. I've done like probably 500, 600 of those things by now. But in the beginning, definitely, I feel like that was a big part of the appeal and why it caught on. And um, also the fact that people could donate photos. It became like almost like a contest for theirs to get picked, to get drawn in. Um, I think that really was part of the, the selling point. That's that's such a uh, a cool notion, and it it makes me think of uh, we had talked to Bev Vincent a while back, mm-hmm. and we talked about, you know, why write horror versus fantasy or, you know, yeah. science fiction, whatever. And he said one of the kind of appeals to writing horror is that the world is already there. You don't have to create it. Instead, you basically just drop these horrifying things in places that people are already so familiar with. And that's yeah. half of where you know, the, the chills come from is I know, I know that forest, I know that dark road. I, you know, that's how I come home from work. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, a fantasy world, when you want stakes, um, you know, a science fiction world, you have to first really establish that world and make it as real as the real world. And then you can, you know, have these elements in it that are disrupting that world. It's like taking a couple steps out when you're doing a horror, because that world is our world and it's, something that you're comfortable with, like you were saying, and then the disruptive elements can just jump in and provide the conflict or work or, you know, start the story without having to really establish that world. 
I got to send you some pictures one day of the drive Please. I have. Yeah. No, seriously, because I, New Jersey's weird, man. Like I used to make fun of it before I even visited it, but that's where my wife's from. And then I started to realize she's from South Jersey, way different than North Jersey, where it's all like industrialized and stuff. But uh, it, where we are, it's like an actual small town America. There's a section where it's like all beach town. Then yeah. There's like a lake city and then there's just farmland. But I, I work in Lake city. I'm about 30 minutes from there where I live. And on foggy days, you'll go on the main highway to, uh, to Atlantic city. I'm not kidding, man. It looks like silent Hill and you're yeah. surrounded by marshlands. Right. Um, and it's really bizarre. Cause like I've almost gotten in a head on collision from, I can only presume a drunken dumbass that was in the wrong lane Jesus. coming full speed at me. So like, <laughs> it's not unlikely, but it's probably not going to happen. But that like that or a creature yes. just coming out of the blue. I, I, I mean, can, I could e- see it. Even, um, you know, um, my, my partner, Jen Woodall, uh, just did a, a big graphic novel with Oni press called space trash. It's really, really good. Hmm. Um, but Oni, um, as part of the promotion for the book had us go up to ALA, which is like a librarian's conference in Washington, last in the summer i guess and driving up to washington uh we came in really late and that whole area outside is just like littered with those deer warning signs like deer crossing and we're just terrified of like something like stumbling out of the out of the bush in front of the car um deer alone but i can just imagine like uh you know (laughs) some horrible figure and that's that's the entire uh the scare factor of the of the work I try and do, I guess, is just that like something stumbling in front of the car. My when we were driving back home from uh from Massachusetts to Jersey, my wife isn't one to really buy into you know a lot of stuff that we may, yeah, um, which is fine. That's her outlook on life. But she saw she's like I just saw a big saber tooth tiger looking thing. I'm like. <laughs> Not sure what that is, but I'm glad we're driving. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much woods that, I, I mean, it, it's not crazy to really think that maybe there is one of your creatures out there. Yeah. You think about how many, like, just miles of of highway and back roads and stuff there are in America alone in between, like, little little towns and, like, just little, little uh, lights on the map, as it were, with the darkness in between. Who's to say, right? I don't know. I mean, re- realistically, we how many creatures do we know that are alive? How many do we not know about that didn't um, make it to the records before humans were here? There's, I mean, there's a lot, and we're just talking about this one planet, you know? Yeah. There are so many strange things out there that sometimes I, I like the theory that um, perhaps it's not like, and this is not taking the Christian approach, but perhaps like, you know, demons and devils, maybe they're just other creatures from different planets dimensions whatever yeah and and we just try to some of us try to like think of it as demons or whatever but i I like what you do because it has so much room to grow and yeah there's so many number of like your cat creature i I mean i know you saw this but um it's not the same exact look one i i I wrote about this cat that's kind of cartoonish but creepy oh yeah i saw you mention that yeah yeah and I bring that up because that alone or, you know, a siren head or whatever, it, it could be a movie. It could be a series. And yeah. um, 
weird segue, but have you had anyone approach you that you can talk about where there's there's serious interest there that's it's a project that you are excited about that you you can maybe talk about if you can i get it yeah uh there has been interest on several fronts and i cannot speak at this time about that unfortunately understand um, yeah i would love to but i cannot no i, I get it <laughs> i could i could say this now because paul tremble i mentioned it on um uh, he mentioned on the curator of horror for yeah. um, chance for she's uh terrifying tones of terror, but we uh we talked about his movie with M. Night Shyamalan, yeah, we couldn't keep it on air. And, and he mentioned on Chance's podcast, he's like, oh, I kind of wish I didn't say that because we didn't even really say that much, but I just thought that was funny because like there's so many cool things, um, that we are potentially able to do, like we, yeah, like we're like I was mentioned, the you know, social media thing. I know now after talking to so many people that it's realistic. It's not a pipe dream to be in Josh Malaman's shoes one day. Like, I'm not saying like be as prolific or whatever, but yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't make it there. That dude was so poor that he was collecting cans to get beer money at one point with his band. And now look, yeah. look at him. He's man. He's living the dream. I honestly think anybody can, can get there. I think that talent is, uh, is a quotient obviously, but I think it is such a small part of it. I think it is, uh, I think anyone can can be a successful artist or not even saying that I am. I'm just saying, like, I think you can work at it. And I think that nobody is a bad automatically a bad writer, or a bad artist. Personally, I think that anyone can build it up and become that. Um, it just takes like the the ethic. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There is no substitute for drive. I think. Yeah, drive is absolutely the 100 percent uh, the most important thing. Yeah, I, I see people mention Brian jump in after this. Um uh, not one person or not, you know, two or whatever, but like in general, I've, I've seen newer writers mention they'll be talking with filmmakers or whatever. And, and I yeah. kind of cringe at that now because I know from talking to enough people that like, there's no certainties. And no. if you start getting it out there, I don't know, man, I just always think like, well, what if an agent's got an eye on you or if a publisher or whatever, like they don't yeah. want their people talking. There's NDAs, man. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, as someone under many NDAs at the moment, absolutely, they do not want you to do that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that that stuff can happen. Um, Mallerman is awesome. I love Mallerman. I just read Daphne. He's hard to know. Oh, so good, right? He was great. Yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. You know, you can feel the it follows inspiration in that book, mm. and uh, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of that movie. And I think he just like nailed it, like the Candyman vibe, the uh, Bloody Mary vibe. Such a good book. The way he tackles so many topics is just really interesting. Like this yeah. uh, short story that one of them, a Bram Stoker, where it's a wolf, uh, where a wolf that is addicted to it and is just like one more time. And it's, yeah. it's basically an allegory for like whatever addiction you want to throw in there. But yeah, that's so smart. Yeah. And his attitude's really wonderful because I don't think, I don't, th- there's people online where you're like, is that really how they act? Are they really this nice? Josh is. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, everyone. I think I'm. Uh, I'm lucky because I've met a bunch of people who I've been friends with online, um, specifically a bunch of writers, and they're generally pretty much exactly what they put out of there online. Like I just mm. met in person Clay McLeod Chapman. Oh yes, so he is exactly as exuberant and uh, positive and, and nice as he is online in person. He's very. He reminds great. me of a, of Josh in many ways. 
Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I've never met Josh in person. I've done a, a couple pieces of fan art for him, and he's always just like super pumped about it, which is always nice to see. Um, <laughs> I, I would love to meet him in person and, you know, Paul Tremblay and, you know, a bunch of other people. Sure. Uh, you know what? Speaking of Josh, it's funny because I don't know if I mentioned this on air, but my, I'm a mini, uh, mini pig. And I don't know why, but for a while she, like in her bed, um, she she tears up the blankets and yeah this little hole like she would always have it where it would like wrap around her eyes and it didn't hurt her or nothing that she just she did it herself and she wasn't trapped yeah and i took a picture of that and i said hey I said hey josh my big red is trying to bird box and <laughs> he got it he got a kick out of that i was like oh that's cool um and then pearl came out right <laughs> and i i, I <laughs> I remember that when he, the first time we had him on for, for season one, me and Brennan, our wives made fun of us because that was the first time we were like fanboying over a guest. Yeah. And, yeah. And my, my wife doesn't give a shit about it. She's not impressed with people. So like, <laughs> no, in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I just was like, it's Josh Ballerman, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Brandon, please hog some air, sir. Yeah, that's a you know perfect segue in the vein of people who do not give a shit about the guests that we have on here. Uh, <laughs> my my younger sister is she is an artist. She is a huge horror nerd, and uh, she for the most part does not care, or at least likes to make me think she doesn't care about the people we get to talk to, except for Trevor Henderson. She was very just, you know she she was thrilled. I did not that, see that coming. Know, <laughs> yeah, no, she thought it was so cool. Um, yeah. She's been a fan of your art for a long time. So I said, is there anything you would like me to ask? Yeah, yeah, of and course. And I don't know that, well, I don't know that she took this seriously because her question was, how long is Longhorse? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's infinite, man. He uh, the, whole, the whole thing is that he, uh, he does not uh, ascribe to the um, spatial demands of this plane. It's so like whenever he disappears behind anything that blocks your viewpoint, he's just um, Schrodinger's horse. It could be as long as as anything or nothing. It's just like he disappears. He can appear this way, that way. So there was no real answer to that question. Infinite is the answer. That's there, a, yes. It's a much better answer than like 14 feet or something yeah. like that. Like that's <laughs> Siren Head is, is 30 feet tall. Long horse is infinite. <laughs> That's a great answer, and that's super creepy. And and you know what, man? Like, I'm not no shit. I've I've I had this dream, a recurring dream. There's only like two that I remember from my childhood. One of them was yeah. I was in my old, my childhood best friend's backyard, and I mean, this is weird, but we're we're a group of weirdos. So I'm just gonna tell y'all. There was this <laughs> ladder upright by itself with a guy standing on top with a bucket on his head. He falls. And he's freaking out and screaming. And there's this horse charging me. Like, I'm, I'm distracted by that ladder guy. Then I see this horse charging me. And it's got its teeth gnashing, trying oh, to bite my head off. But it's it's pulled back by this chain that it's attached on the ground. And, yeah, long long horse kind of comes to mind now. That makes a yeah. lot, man. I won't be able to sleep <laughs> alone in this hotel room tonight. <laughs> man, uh, horse teeth are so scary. Horses are so scary. They're massive. Um, they're humongous. Yeah, they're one of those animals that feels like megafauna, like a moose, like a like not as much as a moose because those things are huge. But uh, yeah, I don't like messing around with horses too much. Too afraid I'll take a finger off. They could. They could. <laughs> you know, I heard that uh, uh, the crushing strength to to bite through a finger is the same as a carrot. I don't know if that's true or not. 
but uh, that's what I've heard. I hope it's anyway, not. That's anyway, yeah. Isn't that scary? <laughs> <laughs> I have a scar on my finger from being bit by a goat. I have to imagine that a horse would be a lot worse. Oh my god, yeah, that'd be terrible. But yeah, one of my friends <laughs> got bit by a deer he was feeding, and uh, it drew blood. So I've never seen that until that until that moment. I, I didn't know deer bite. Yeah, deer are awful. I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, you want to dive into his book? Uh, yeah, sure. So what can you tell us about it? Yeah, okay. Um, well, it is a middle grade uh, book um, that is the title. I had a title in mind, and I don't think that we're going to end up going with that title. There was a pro- It's had like three titles so far. The, the title was written under was 13 Nightmares, uh, which doesn't really ascribe to anything in the book. And then I had another title for it. And now we're like, we're still working on that. I just got back revisions from my editor um, from the the first manuscript. And I'm about to, I'm actually going to meet with him tomorrow to talk about it um, and and start down that road of doing that. Um, I'm just cleaning out kind of some of the commissions I have hanging over my head before that. But um, what can I say about it? It is about a small town um, in Ontario called Beacon Point. uh, And it's, it, it's very much in the mode of of it, uh, like those love, a bunch of kids dealing with um, monsters that are from the history of the town, um, as relayed through like kind of an Art Bell esque paranormal radio DJ that are like the interludes in between chapters. Oh, that's uh, fucking cool! Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. Is yeah. your artwork in the interludes as well? It's each chapter is going to have a, a black and white illustration, which I've not done yet. It's going to have like 30 something illustrations. But basically all these monsters from the town's history that may or may not have ever actually existed, but were related as, as spooky urban legends start like picking these kids off one by one. And they have to figure out how to stop it and how it's tied to these spooky radio broadcasts. Um, and so it's just packed with monsters. It's got like eight or nine different monsters, each one kind of going after a different kid. Um, and I just was like, if it's bad, at least it has a bunch of cool monsters in it and kids <laughs> love monsters uh and i love monsters so uh, i know that i know that that's a good bedrock to build from i guess um and you know uh yeah so that's that's that i guess and i'm just we're just working up uh the manuscript to a point where it is good i hope and then i'm gonna do a bunch of illustration work for it and um uh there will probably be a second one as well at least so very cool. Yeah. Now, when you were coming up with the monsters for it, I wondered, did you, um, I, I've talked about, um, <clears throat> my son on the, on the program before he's autistic and dyslexic. And one yeah. of the ways that we got him to really start reading was he would draw something before he would write about it. And I'm, I'm very curious if when you went to write, did you sketch creatures before trying to describe them? Um, it's, it's really weird. Cause I kind of went, this is my first more, more of a, a full blown narrative pro like writing project that mm-hmm. I've done. A lot of it's been just kind of the flash fiction stuff paired with artwork before. Um, and the way that I approach the, the, the flash fiction, fiction stuff and drawing the photos is that I will pick a photo first, not think about the monster at all, just paint it in what comes to my head first things first, and then write the little piece of of a flash fiction about the finished image when when it's all done without any pre-planning and this was the opposite where there was a ton of planning but no drawing and then now i'm going to go and do the drawing at the end so they're they're fully um they're fully their first form all the monsters was definitely just narrative first and monster and and writing it first 
Um, and and uh, now I'm going to visualize them and, and go back to that skill, I guess, after after the writing, writing is done. But um, there was like one key monster that that I had in mind, first of all, and then the others kind of came up situationally for um, kind of pairing each one with a kid with one of the kids in the group that, that are dealing with these different things. I guess I can say, I'll tell you what one of the monsters is the main like kind of the cover monster is how oh, should I say that it's kind of a reveal I can't really do it. It's it's some interesting deer. It's a horde. It's a herd of int- very interesting deer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't want to. I don't. I was just. I don't want to spoil for that for anyone who listens to it. But it's it's some nasty deer. I can't wait, man. So we've established that fuck deers. Um, <laughs> yeah, really. uh, yeah. No, I want to pause us there because you have <laughs> a, 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 some sort of deer monster. You, yeah. You, I mean, did you have a traumatic experience with deer at some point? No, they just whip me out in a really weird way. More, you know, like they're a prey animal, like cows and stuff. It's just they they give off such a weird vibe. You hear these all these weird stories, but they get all these bizarre like forest diseases and get like giant growths coming out of the side of their head. And science, and scientists are just like, I don't know why they do that. They just do. Like they, I was reading the other day that they they will exhibit this symptom where they'll just grow wounds that will bleed. And then stop, and nobody knows why they do that at all. They just weird me out a lot. I don't know. They're just spooky in a way that um, certain other herd animals like that are not. I don't know what it is. I didn't know some of that. No, I'm afraid of deer too. Yeah, they're scary. And there's also like, you know, there's a there's the cryptid of the the not deer, which is like you know, a hunter in the woods will be like will come across a deer, and then something about it will be weird and then it'll either like stand up on its hind legs and be extremely strange or he'll notice it has eyes facing forward like a hunting predator or something like that you know and i got two ugh. random facts about deers first yeah off, oh please and i'm reading this i didn't know this because i'm just really i wanted to i'm not you know smart with this shit but <laughs> it says the moose is one of the world's largest deer species i didn't know that yeah, they're terrifying. They oh, are, I, moose, are terrifying. moose are. We we when we had oh wait, Brennan wasn't here for this one. Um when I had uh talked to Laird Baron last oh, year. Oh yeah, he knows about scary deer. Yeah, he was talking about <laughs> moose charging him. Those motherfuckers, yeah. that's you might as well like, you know, just just shit yourself because you're gonna do it when the moose kills you. But yeah. another thing is um the water deer has fangs instead of antlers. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, <laughs> vampire deer. It looks like a Pokemon. If you if you find a photo of it, they just have these curved tusks kind of going out like that. It's really weird. Um, but moose, yeah, like, you know, you, you talk to people, you know, I visited uh, Newfoundland, uh, you know, where they have tons of moose. Uh, and that is always a concern. And the way that you, you, know, you joke about it, like, oh, you ever see a, see a moose? And they're like basically cross themselves, like you just mentioned Dracula. Like one of those things comes out in front of your car. You're, you're done. You're dead. You're exactly. done. You hit yeah. you hit one of those with a car. The car is just gonna tin can around it. It's done. Yeah, I just realized <laughs> it's gonna that... walk off maybe with a slight. Yeah, bubble. yeah, <laughs> it'll have a it'll have a scar on its leg and just not even think twice about it. I just yeah. realized no, that... you watch um you watch like the mist and there's that um <laughs> that giant walking monster. It's like that's the not moose. even a real monster. That's just a moose. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta say, I just realized that the last guest, David Morell, and you are both Canadians. That's pretty awesome. So. Oh, yeah. wonder, uh, do you have any like is there any canadian uh artist or creator or may, really anyone that inspires you that y- you wish more people knew about and they could be famous oh, or not famous 
Put you on the spot. Next Put me question. on the spot. Specifically Canadian artists. Um, that could be anyone. Fuck it. Shit. No, you know what? I don't know anyone specifically Canadian. Brian um, Adams. <laughs> I mean, you know, we got our we got our boy Cronenberg. That's kind of our. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that's kind of a big one there. I could give you some Canadian horror films, but I don't. Creators off the top of my head are just it's it's tough. I don't. I I can I can barely remember movies and stuff and then books I like when when I'm put on the spot in podcast. Never mind people. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, Brennan, I'm. You take over, man. I, I'm drawing a blank. I'm having fart brain again. Uh, everyone's having that. fart brain. It's a That's nightly fine. occurrence for it's, me. Exactly. Um, so I, I, I'm I'm curious. You said that this is really your first experience. The the book we were talking about. Yeah. With with prose, what was the impetus? Made you say, "I want to do this." It's something I've always wanted to do, and a, and a big thing about it was that I've always wanted to. We we mentioned it earlier, but the Scholastic Book Fair, and especially since. You know, a lot of my monsters, uh, I did not expect them to become kind of kid favorites. They were never designed for kids. They were just something I thought was cool or scarier or neat. And I just thought it'd be fun to, you know, put it on social media. Um, and then the response, like, especially from like 2019 onwards, when Siren Head kind of blew up and became kind of became this YouTube thing in a weird way, um, specifically for kids, uh, that that kind of took off in that direction. Um, so once I saw like the impact that it was having on kids, like where I, I was getting emails all the time from people saying like, specifically like, and this always just like makes my fucking week is, you know, I'll get emails from parents of aut- autistic kids and kids struggling with disabilities who are like, you know, our kid is nonverbal or our son is nonverbal. And, um, you know, they haven't said or responded to stuff for a long time until they saw a siren head or cartoon Holy cat. Shit, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, now that they'll, that's all they'll talk about. And, um, you know, that, I guess that combined with my love of like goosebumps and, and all that stuff. I remember from when I was a kid, um, kind of geared me up to be like, I want to have something at a scholastic book fair. That's like a, you know, spooky spine tingle, tingling kind of book or, or whatnot. And then I was approached by, um, uh, Shelly Ramiro, who was the assistant editor at scholastic. And she was exactly in the same headspace as me and was like, Hey, you ever thought about writing something for kids? Cause she had seen the huge response that kids had had to, to the monsters. Um, and I was like, absolutely. Of course. Um, and then from there we started doing the pitch and, and putting it together. And uh, you know, Shelly has since moved on from Scholastic into to greener pastures, but um, that was the impetus for the, for the whole project, I guess. And what, what kind of was the, the kick in the pants to, to move forward in that direction. Um, and now I'm just like, trying to actually make myself have a weekend to sit down and, and write a short story and just start writing. And it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely. <clears throat> Cause I have ideas. It's just God. It's, it's, it's difficult when you're not used to it. No. Yeah. And that's a good point. And this ain't a knock on you specifically, but no, it's, yeah. in, it's interesting because David Morell is a wonderful nonfiction book that I only recently read called the successful novelist and basically it talks about you know the ins and outs technicalities the business aspect too but one thing he does cover is how he how many and i'm sure this is true with art your artwork too yeah especially if you're really good at something you're not going to notice how hard it is because you make it look so natural and there are i don't tell people that i'm a podcaster or a writer uh, unless we're in that like unless 
unless I see, I feel like I'm around my people. Yeah. Like randomly yesterday, two days ago, there were these two ladies um, at this place talking about horror books. And I told them, but very rarely do I do that because I've had too many times where people were saying, would say like, Oh, I, I've always wanted to write a book, book or this or that, or like right. I've had talks like that. And it just like, <laughs> it's kind of insulting and I don't want to get into it with a random person because it's, it's like, if I see your job, I could be like, yeah, I could do that. Like, no, you can't. It takes a lot of time. No, practice. no. Yeah, of course. No, like I, it's, it's a skill. It's a skill that's developed over many, many, many years of, of hard work and it shouldn't be taken God lightly in any way like that. It's interesting because jobs like that dream jobs that, you know, me, you, Brennan and our, our peers want yeah. to do for a full time. Um, it's weird how people say that's not a real job. I never got that from my parents, thankfully. Yeah. But I got it from at the time friends with really? when I was trying to pursue being an indie filmmaker, that was my first love George Romero and Kevin Smith, like a combined yeah. uh, of those two. And yeah, I mean, they, they kind of like not taking it serious, but talking shit behind, you know, you hear it's small circles you hear. And that and, sucks. Fuck. And it's, that- an, it's insane because like, I heard this great, talk from Stanley on an interview where he said um, art is as important as anything because like what do you do after what does anyone do after they do their job or whatever sure you can yeah. drink or whatever but like art forms are probably one of the most important things you got like yeah um, Edgar Allan Poe did this uh, prose story called um, oh man I had that moment now I dropped the ball. I don't remember what it's called. Shit. Um, oh, that's all good. Message me after that. I'd like to read it. Yeah. Uh, he had this prose uh, story, poem where it was basically, oh, Eureka. That's it. Um, we were talked about outer space. And, and at the time, the the science you know, community was kind of poo-pooing that. And you have a lot of fiction that turns out to dictate what you do in, in art reality. I mean, yeah. Look at Jules Verne. He's writing about space travel and underwater adventures. Yeah. Far before, you know, we actually did that. So my whole point is, is art is, in my opinion, like the most important thing you could have because with, with you, Trevor, you want to deal with kids. I want to deal with kids on some level, too. And that's kind of like how you forever stay young because their enthusiasm and non-corrupted for hopefully non-corrupted yeah. souls are um just beautiful and yeah uh, absolutely yeah i don't know where i'm going with this but um, i'm totally on the same page (laughs) (laughs) or at least i know where i want to go with it uh no first of all i want to throw out there you know that i hate that phrase that's not a real job i think that what that translates to all of us have heard it a million times oh yeah, yeah totally but what it translates to is society which by the way is top loaded with problems doesn't value that as a job and you know yeah. what is that what is what does that mean society doesn't have its shit together so why should i oh you know? man i'm gonna spit that out but but i mean that, that is you know it, it it doesn't it doesn't value it so it doesn't you know pay a living wage if you will or at least a survivable yeah. salary or anything like that unless you you know boots to the ground just absolutely kill it um yeah. Where I want to go with that is, you know, you, you've talked uh, a few times already about uh, kind of the notion of putting this book together to 
get it in a scholastic book fair to, you know, get it in the hands of of kids (laughs) like, you know, like you looking for that stuff. Uh, The fact that you've done zoom calls with schools uh, to inspire young artists, young creators. Um, Now beyond just being that excited kid at the, at the scholastic book fair, I'm wondering what, like, where does that notion come from? What, what makes you want to do that? Cause that is a really cool trait for lack of better words is to want to connect with kids. Well, I think it, I just thought it was so cool how I think the kids uh, respond really well to stuff that doesn't talk down to them. And then me just doing this fun stuff for myself of doing these scary monsters, like uh, I'm putting it out there and then seeing that response and seeing kids respond to it in such a specific way. um, I guess it just, where where am I going with this? It made me want to uh, inspire kids and, and it really helped me. Seeing that response made me want to keep doing it in the first place. Um, and then it just the notion that whatever these kids are going to be making in like 10, you know, 15, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. Um, if they keep drawing and they keep writing and they keep like ingesting like, you know, my stuff and other current like horror stuff that's more geared for kids in a way that is palatable. Um, I think that that's like the best possible legacy you could possibly have as a creative is seeing the much cooler shit um, come out from what the, you know, the, 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 the seeds you helped water in whatever ways, you know, with your, with your own stuff. Um, I think that's just the best. And I think that if I can do that by making a middle grade horror book that doesn't pull any punches and it's exactly as scary as the stuff I try and put out on social media for myself, but specifically for little kids, um, I think that'll be really cool. And I think kids will really respond to it um, in a way that they'll feel like they're not getting talked down to. It's it's something that is for kids, but also like has real stakes. I think stakes are so important in, oh, in sure. kids fiction. Um, you know, stuff like Coraline and, uh, um, you know, some of the goosebumps, definitely for sure. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess the, the, the rambling answer to that is just that I want to, I think that influencing current kids to do way cooler shit than me in the <laughs> horror space, you know, decades down the line is like the best possible thing I could be doing. And, and I think that, you know, w- one thing you're doing well with your approach Aspiring middle grade authors need to know that kids can smell bullshit a mile away. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do not try and, I mean, just from the, my limited experience and, and, you know, the stuff that I do for myself that catch has caught on with a lot of kids, you know, I don't think that anything like that reaction would have happened if I was doing something, like, if I sat down and said like, this monster is going to be for kids. Like it would have just been bullshit. It would have sucked and no kids wouldn't have liked it. And they would have known it was known. It sucked. And it would have just bombed completely. I'd argue that I know it's not targeted for kids, but I'd argue that it it is for kids. And here's the reason because stories, excuse me, Grimm's brother brothers, one of the oldest folklore creature story uh, tellers. um, Those were terrifying stories. They're rough. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of the Disney movies that are adapted from older tales, uh, you know, Aladdin or Cinderella or, uh, whatever else you want to say in their current form, they're veiled to be for kids, but they're, I mean, we got kids that are, they have parents that are divorced, parents that are dead. Um, parents that are getting attacked by some uh, Tarzan I'm thinking of. 
by a wildlife. <laughs> you just you're not seeing it, but like yeah, you put the context clues together. Anyways, uh, it it's all pretty fucking horrible, and yeah, it's better to see that in fiction than it is in reality because you if you're filtered from all that. Yeah, you're not going to know how the fuck to react when you're faced with some real monsters. Yeah, it's like a test run for kids where they can experience a lot of similar, you know, I mean, obviously heightened in a supernatural sense, depending on the story, uh, but similar feelings. And then, you know, come out the other side and it's just a book and you're good. Same with horror movies, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd love to talk about your collaboration with Jed Shepard. How did you get yeah. Did you meet on? I mean, I, I he's such a nice guy. I, I just asked nice him guy. if I'd asked him, I just said, Hey, can you be on my podcast? And he said, Yeah, like he yeah. had at that time, his movie was like the most successful, not even horror movie. It was just everywhere. Movie, yeah. I love Host, and I think it came out in the, at the perfect time, height of the pandemic. Dude, that uh, mask scene creeps me the fuck out. And it's such a cheesy effect, but it's not. The context, because, it works so well, right? Yeah. It is brilliant. It's incredible. And it's a nod to Alice, Sweet Alice at the same time. And it's, <laughs> so it's double cool because that movie rules and host rules and the scare works perfectly well. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, Jed is, is, is super nice. He's another person who, you know, is a super cheerful, nice guy online. And then you meet him and he's absolutely exactly like that. I've had more Zoom calls with Jed than probably anybody else because we... Um, well, I worked on, I designed a monster for his game ghosts that is currently doing. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. No, it's not out there yet anywhere. It's just, there's some trailers and stuff, but it's. I thought it, it was out. Okay. No, I think it's been delayed slightly, but um, mm. ghosts has Alice Lowe of uh, Garth Murphy's Dark Place and a few other things in it. And it is kind of a big homage to Ghostwatch and a few other things. And it's a FMV horror game, full motion video horror game where you're in the van at like the command center for like this shoddy late night uh horror ghost hunting show so you're watching all the different monitors and switching between them while the actors um who are investigating these ghosts supposedly are in this haunted house so you have to watch what they're doing for the different things and then make sure that they don't get gotten by the ghost or whatever's happening you have to keep the show going because if you fail, it'll go off the air. And then you also have to watch the van behind you because stuff might be happening in the van. Um, and I designed a, I designed a monster for it called the Long Lady. And um, uh, yes, that's oh, the subway. Kind of, she was on the subway, right? That picture, the Long Lady. I don't know if she, there was one on the subway. We did like three or four drawn images of her but we haven't revealed of women uh, women on the train oh yeah 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 that's a tall lady but this one this lady's way taller um oh okay <laughs> yeah this is this is a much taller woman the tall tall lady <laughs> i got you yeah but anyway uh so i i designed it that's kind of where we met jed reached out and was just like i'm a fan of your work and i had just seen host so i was like dude i'm a huge fan of host <laughs> and um i had also seen his short film that i'm not sure if he directed or wrote called salt um, mm. you, sh you should look that up. It is awesome. It's very good. But anyway, uh, we, we were mutual fans of each other's stuff. And we, we quickly became friends online, just talking about fan footage stuff. And um, I helped him do, I designed this monster form, did a bunch of different rounds of sketches. And then uh, he turned around and was like, oh, you know, we're doing the monster practically for this game. And uh, Jim Henson Studios is making it. What? So, wow. So they did not know that. Yeah. Jim Henson Studios made this giant puppet of this <laughs> creature. 
that sits on top of an an actor's shoulders and so it's really tall um and uh yeah and he's just been working on this game among a few other things and we were pitching a potential film version of the game at this kind of like a synergy thing at the same time um so i sat in with a lot of uh zoom calls with him and some and different studio execs just kind of like uh you know, jumping in the middle of his pitch to, to talk about who I am and why it matters of why I'm there in any way, shape or form. Uh, uh, but yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're just, we're good friends and we have a lot of projects on the, on the back burner that hopefully will, will go forward in some way. Um, I designed a monster for God, I'm blanking on the name, uh, scare package two, uh, which is, he did a segment for, uh, which is uh, coming out, I think, pretty soon. Now. I'm not sure when, but we've just worked on a bunch of different stuff, and uh, he's really cool. Yeah, I agree. Super yeah. nice guy. One of the few guests where I was just like almost too nervous to talk because it was him, and he surprised us with Haley. Oh and, yeah, um, and Emma. Um, cool. I just, uh, <laughs> it's really fucking cool because, like I said, George R. Uh, George Romero and um, Kevin Smith have always been. They've yeah. been my biggest influences ever since I was a kid. Like yeah, Night yeah. of Living Dead, Tom Savini's version was the first zombie movie I ever saw. Yeah. And I bring them up because um I love interviews, I love behind the scenes and commentary. And and you listen to the actors, everyone who works with those two guys or did with George, everyone loves them. And ever since I was a kid, I always said, like, especially with my dad saying, like, you remember your roots, it, it just the thing I want to do and my role model in life yeah. all said the same thing. And now with Brennan and I's opportunity with the podcast to talk to, you know, people like you or Jed or whoever, that's what you guys do. You do what you we, like. We love hard too, but like yeah. you guys are on a, quite frankly, you're on a different level at this point. You, you are <laughs> man. In bottom, <laughs> bottom you are. Okay. Um, don't be modest. <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> Um, I, I literally just started doing like little photo manipulations in 2018 and, and it blew up in a way that I've not uh, fully reckoned with. I'm still just some loser on, on Twitter who, who draws ghosts. Cause I like ghosts. That's, that's the extent of it. Dude, if I had almost a million followers after a few years, I wouldn't understand it either. Okay. I, I do not understand it. <laughs> I, I wouldn't either. But my whole point is, is it's, it's really reassuring because like, we talked about before on the air that we had Lansdale on uh, David Morrell and yeah, um, even Peter Straub and Chuck Polinick, like Man, the biggest Peter name. Straub. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Like he's such a sweet guy, but, but amazing. You had Peter Straub on. Holy hell. I tweeted him. I don't know how he did. <laughs> I forgot. I tweeted him at some point. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Cause like I, the shot in the dark, like he's not going to reply, but I bring him up because they are the globally the hot like the peter's one of uh, my yeah. opinion on mount rushmore but he's so down to earth super laid back and it's just affirming to know that he, there's no reason to be a dick and yeah you know more often than not people are nice there's sometimes when people have a little success and they're just like complete dicks but yeah for the most part no i feel like it, it it's like anything else and those people i mean i'm sure there's you know, exceptions, but I, my experience has been that, um, people in the creative industries value, um, that niceness, that, that, uh, people just being genuine and just being, uh, nice, nice guys, nice people to, to, to work with. It seems to be like uh, a currency that is most highly valued over literally anything else. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
because of a lot, pretty much nine times out of 10, we're putting, like when I started writing, I mentioned this a few episodes ago, ago I think, but yeah, I was nervous. Cause like, I was like, how far, how far is too far out there? And, you know, they got some pretty dark ideas and yeah, it was received pretty well. And uh, once you are comfortable with knowing, like, I mean, there's exceptions to every rule, but once you yeah. know that you can pretty much write the darkest shit you can and, yeah, and it's not people are embracing it because it's dark. It's it's we're vulnerable and we're putting our ideas up there, and there's no judgment for for the most part. And yeah, that I think from what I've observed, that's my opinion on why horror people seem to be the most welcoming and non-judgmental. Yeah, because when you put yourself when you strip away your armor, again nine times out of ten, you're seeing the real person. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you you're just as naked as them, like you you're supposed to be in the same tribe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think yeah. it's special, man, because it's 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 we we talk to people all over the world, and it it's not just like an American or a North American thing. It, it's everywhere, and it's so cool to see that. Yeah, and I think horror people, like people who are big fans of horror, I think that it's like a common language. You know, you'll you'll always have that to talk about with and be passionate about with, with somebody else who's like a big horror fan over anything else, any other like media or, or, or nerd shit or genre stuff, I guess. And horror, like, like I said, I was big into trying to be an indie filmmaker when I was younger. And, and yeah. one of my mentor uh, at the time, he basically said, you can do the shittiest horror movie. And he did, <laughs> he did one, I think it was in the nineties called the foods have eyes. <laughs> 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 it's just, Man, I, I it might be on YouTube. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> but it was corny as fuck. But if it's horror, man, it, it's it's gonna have an audience. Like Killer Attack of the Killer Tomatoes has two. Uh, I'm only aware of one sequel. Yeah. It's two movies, and it's it's still selling on DVD or streaming yeah. or whatever. I think that uh, you know. I think that if you put your heart if you put it's corny but if you put your passion into it it shows like you can it it shows up in film it shows up in on the page if you're enthusiastic about something it's contagious and um but if i mean you know if you're making something to try and make money uh it's going to show in that way as well i think that if you're there like just being genuine um i've seen stuff that is like one of my favorite things i discovered this last halloween is this uh 30 minute short called halloween party and it's on YouTube in full. And it is literally just a 30 minute long slasher movie that a bunch of teenagers made, like actual real 80s teenagers made in like 85 or 86. And it's just them clearly having fun at a Halloween party and like making a movie out of it with all the, the bloopers and, and, and bad line reads you'd expect. There's a cut that cuts into the next scene in the middle of a toilet flush, which is incredible. Um and it's just the most, it's one of my favorite things because it's like this time capsule of this very specific kind of kid in the 80s and it doesn't exist anymore. And then it's also like a pretty decent slasher movie. Like the killer looks cool. He's got this weird skull mask on. Um, at one point, all the kids watch Halloween on the TV and <laughs> completely they don't care about copyright. The Halloween, <laughs> Chuck Carpenter's Halloween music plays over the opening credits. Um, and it's just this the genuine, the, the earnestness and, and the passion and just how genuine it is like it oozes off of it and you know obviously it's just it's made by a bunch of 14 50 year olds in the 80s so it's technically terrible but it's incredible at the same time because of that passion 
That's and I think amazing. that translates through. Yeah. I want to hear, because this is a Halloween special, so we should mention a little bit more. I made a list, true. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I asked Trevor, so I wasn't just like, hey, on the spot. Yeah. Um, I just want to start out with, what do you want to talk about ha- Halloween-wise? Okay, so I got to do movies first, because uh, there are some things that I have to watch every single Halloween. And that is, the. I'll start with the one most people have seen, which is Trick or Treat, which is just Halloween in a movie. Everyone needs to, to watch that over Halloween. It's it's a horror anthology, um, which, you know, automatically is, they're the best. Halloween anthologies, or uh, horror anthologies are incredible. But it is the most Halloween-y a movie can get, I think. Um, and everyone should watch that. I'm going to watch it in the week leading up. Um, but the next two are a little more underseen. Um, one of my favorite movies is this really weird movie from the 80s called Lady in White. Have you guys seen Lady in White? No, Lady in Black. <laughs> Lady in Black is a different, yeah, different thing. But Lady in White is this very, um, it's structured like a novel. It's a very long, it's a longer movie, especially if you can get the director's cut. And it's basically about this um, guy coming back to his hometown and remembering this one Halloween he had where when he was a kid with this, um, you know, big Italian family in the small town, he ends up getting locked in this coat room after class, after he, this amazing scene with this, this classroom all decked out in Halloween decorations where he's reading his first like horror short story he wrote. He ends up get, getting locked in this coat room overnight um, by a bunch of bullies. And then he sees the ghost of a murdered girl, like recreating the steps where she was strangled in this coat room. So it goes from a, a family friendly thing to a very like adult thing very quickly, Like the tonal whiplash in this movie is wild and i think that might be why it's kind of like uh has mixed reviews where it'll go from like super super family like small town like halloween vibes to like here's the ghost of a murdered girl walking through the the night of her murder again so you see her getting strangled in midair because it's just the ghost not the Holy killer shit. oh jed probably wrote that he loves the midair scenes yeah yeah <laughs> levitation scenes <laughs> but then as the kid is seeing this happen the actual killer shows up again because he's haunted by the night when the goat, the kid was killed. So it becomes this, this whole murder mystery thing where he's trying to figure out who killed this little girl. He keeps seeing the ghost at the same time as it's wrapped up in this nostalgia of this like small town Halloween. It's incredible. It's such a weird, cool movie. There's nothing else like exactly like it. Um, you watch it. Watch that. It's so good. It's so good. Scream factory had a Blu-ray. It's totally out of print now. Um, I would love to have a copy personally. I got to see it in the theater a couple of years back on Halloween and it was just, it's amazing. Um, some of the tonal stuff is, is doesn't work, frankly. Um, there's a whole subplot cause it's set during the sixties um, with this janitor that they pin the murders on. And it's like a racial element and it, it it's, it's a little tone deaf um, and it's inclusion is a little strange, but the stuff that does work is so good. It feels like it's the big, broad, very big Bradbury October Country vibes through the whole movie. Um, That's pretty so cool, man. It's really, really good. Um, I absolutely recommend it. And then the one movie I watch every, I try and watch every single Halloween is Ghost Watch, uh, which is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen, still to this day. Um, have you, have either of you guys seen Ghost Watch? No, I've seen oh. enough on YouTube to get the. Yeah. the best parts but it, oh, it's I, it's out of print isn't it hard to get it just got a blu-ray release it's uh, a it? it, okay. it, 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 it's got delayed till november which is just the biggest crime but 
Uh, there's a beautiful Blu-ray coming out now, finally, with a, a whole big cardboard slipcase and liner notes and all this stuff. It fully des- deserves it. And I, uh, I highly recommend you watch the whole thing because it's a masterclass in just amping tension. It starts out very cheesy because um, the movie is it's a found footage movie. It's my favorite found footage movie. And it premiered in 92 or three or four, somewhere around there on the BBC. And everyone just thought it was a real actual like ghost, like a jokey, like ghost hunt thing. Cause the entire cast are TV hosts from the time. Um, so they're all recognizable faces like newscasters and stuff. And uh, the whole crux of it is that, you know, they're going to do like a spooky, like we're going to investigate this suburban home where there's supposed to be a poltergeist called Mr. Pipes. Um, and it starts out very, very cheesy, very, very languidly paced. But God, it just ramps up. And before you know it, uh, stuff is happening and it's getting more and more real. And it is so frightening by the end. It is like monumentally scary by the end. Um, Sold me on two movies I've never heard of before. Yeah. And if you haven't, if you don't watch the early part, it's nowhere near as effective because it's that slow build. Um, and when it came out, what happened was, the the rumors as it were when it came out was that they had a whole disclaimer at the front of the broadcast saying like this is all fiction none of this is real this is a halloween joke but right before the premiere happened there was a sports game on and the sports game ran long oh. and it and it went over the warning by about 5 10 minutes and they just dropped right into the broadcast <laughs> So everyone tuning in, <laughs> they literally wore the world's it, and it it scared the shit out of them. It scared the shit out of England. Um, there were complaints across the country. They've only showed it once on TV ever, and then it was put in the vault. They never showed it again on TV because it was such a uproar. And you know, there's even an ur- maybe an urban legend, maybe true that someone saw it uh, uh, and thought it was real and killed themselves, hung themselves. Uh, after after the broadcast, um, I don't know how how true that is, but it is an exceptionally scary film. It's probably like the pinnacle, one of the pinnacles of found footage in general. And uh, yeah, if you need, to, if you want to see it, it's usually on YouTube in full, or I think if not there, it's probably on Internet Archive while that's still up. There's ways of getting it for sure um, until you, the very nice Blu-ray comes out next month. Um, so those are my, my top three, excuse me, um, Halloween movies. Um, I try and sneak in something wicked this way comes, excuse me as well. But, um, those are the three I can't miss. You know, mine, if it, I, my time to watch movies is limited right now. Mm-hmm. I got a young kid and yeah. So I, I typically go with the younger stuff. Um, yeah, of course. I really love Hocus Pocus and I, it's I really good. I know it's all over the place, but I really love the second one too, and I thought it had a lot of heart. I still haven't seen that one. I heard I've heard some dour things about it, but I, I just saw the first one for the first time last year, I think, or the year before, um, with some friends, and uh, I thought it was great. I don't know, really fun. Yeah, I mean, just to throw this out there, I'm I I'm not really a film critic. Like I, I don't understand the whole point of getting all pissed off with entertainment. And, I like um, most things, honestly. I like I like everything. Yeah. Um, Another one is Halloween Town because it's from my childhood and I thought it was just super fun and a Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is yeah, another yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I, I I need to see Halloween Town, but I you know Nightmare Before Christmas is great. Um, you know what is going to go? You know what a new movie that's going to get thrown in with those in the in the coming years? Right now, everyone's shitting on it. 
because it's very fun to shit on, but it's going to be a classic. You, you mark my words. Is Rob Zombie's Monsters? Oh, I haven't seen it yet. And you know, what? everyone like, is shitting on that. It's a, right. <laughs> it's a hoot. It's great. It's like a. It's like getting drunk in a Spirit Halloween. It's amazing. <laughs> Which will be a movie, Spirit um, Halloween. I, I've seen the trailer and I like that comparison. <laughs> Let me tell you that trailer is such a disservice to that movie. The trailer yeah. looks like dog shit. The trailer makes it look like a, a funnier die sketch. But <laughs> it does. When you sit down yeah. and actually watch that movie, it's gorgeous. Like they did, like it obviously wasn't finished when they did the trailer because it looks unfinished. The finished film has like this tactileness to it, there's a grain to it, and the colors all pop. And it's just like the, everything's in creep show lighting. It just yeah. it's 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 so much fun. I, I I sat there and drank a bottle of wine and watched it and it had like a hoot. I thought it was great. Um, that, that sounds awesome, man. Yeah, it's gonna be good. It, it's it's great, and I think that you know people are gonna shit on it now, which they're doing because it's easy pickings. It's Rob Zombie doing something he loves and just saying fuck it. Uh, you know, I want to do this for me. Who gives a shit what you say? You know. Uh, that's a good point too, because I have seen like his wife's always in it. Like, you know what? But he loves his wife. Holy uh, shit. Wow. Kill the uh, guy, right? He had <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Sid what an Hagen, asshole. Yeah, Sid Haig was in a bunch. He's got a lot of, like Michael Barry's yeah. in quite a few. Um he's but a, he, the guy loves the old horror stuff and he loves his wife and he loves his friend and he has the power to put them in goofy horror movies that he makes. I'm I like, would do that. Yeah, anybody would. And everyone's just taking the opportunity to, to take a big dump on his chest about it. Like, Christ. like, And the whole movie, like, you watch The Monsters, it's about a a, a big idiot uh, monster who falls in love with a, the, a hot lady he, who he loves forever. And it's just right. like, it's his it's his marriage. It's his marriage told through The Monsters. I mean, I, I know you know this, Trevor, but Hot Iron and Cold Blood, like, Brennan's in it. And... um he he's one of my best friends, but it's not just like and there's other people Total in there. There's there's <laughs> there's other people that are friends of mine or who I look up to, but like that's not the only qualification. They have to, and I'm certain of this with Rob Zombie. I don't know him, yeah. never talked to him, but they have to have a certain quality and, and uh ability to pull off a job. And mm-hmm. in my case, I feel like it's true, and I'm damn sure that Rob Zombie's not going like she's not a good actress, but she might be one of the leads in all my movies, you know. The thing is, the thing is too, <laughs> she's really put in the work and she's a lot better in this most recent film. And then especially um I really like Lords of Salem a lot. And I think she's honestly good in that. But she everyone in this movie gets the assign, assignment, understands completely what they're doing. And I think she does really good work in it. I think she's a good actor in it. I get to um, see that. Some of the early ones, earlier films, I totally get that. I get that idea. Um, but you know, I think that if someone, you know, works at it and it's clear they're like making strides to be better and they're you can see that on the film. Um, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, Martin yeah. Scorsese does it too. Uh, you know, everyone does it because if you, you, let's say we just have this one life, you're doing what you love you have family or friends that love it too. And they're good at it. Yeah. They're actually going to give a fuck. Like, why would you not take that? Like, just yeah. dude, I've seen last year or earlier. I can't remember. There were people online giving Lan- Joe Lansdale shit about like his kids um, inheriting his money because they didn't earn it. And I just, you, what the okay, fuck? first Jesus off. Christ. Good luck saying that to the guy's face. He'll kill you in a he second. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, that's he's the dad. Why wouldn't he give? Isn't this the whole? 
point of inheritance is it's in the word is that they they inherit it it's it's the whole point of the thing it sounds like a dumbass dream i had but i saw it and i That's, actually people are just saying anything out there these days it's, it doesn't to get a sense. reaction yeah. it's the wild west it's it's horrible it's just eating holes in everyone's brains being online for three years straight it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> brennan go ahead man yeah, no, I got a segue there. I'm full of them tonight. Um, yeah. You know, I, I want to talk about using social media the right way. Um, Trevor, you, you've built up a very, very big platform, a very big following. And yeah. one thing I think is extremely commendable about it is you use it to shout out horror creators, uh, oh, I big love it. and that, small. It's the best part um, of it. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm going to ask you kind of a big unfair question, but I yeah. want to hear your opinion on the current state of horror. Oh, Books, I think movies, whatever. I think we're in a, uh, I, I mean, you know, I just spent, uh, you know, five minutes talking about how much I love the monsters. So I'm pretty, I'm a pretty <laughs> easy sell. Uh, but I think we're in um, a golden age in pretty much every avenue games, books, books, especially. Holy shit. I'm going to be bit. <laughs> I'm going to be buried in all the books, the horror books I bought this year alone that I can't I hear. Read. You. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Um, but uh, movies, especially, I feel like this year was just like one for the books. Like, you know, you look at like 1982 and like how many just utter classics came out all, all in that one year. I think that 2020. I thought you meant the book. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Sorry. The 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 the, the, the year for movies, because you, like, right, right. you had a bunch of great stuff come all at once. But like, um, you know, if Nope alone came out this year for horror films, that'd be enough. That because I think that one jumped right into my top ten of Still all time. Oh, man, I want to see that so it's, damn bad. It's so good. I mean, I loved Us and I loved uh, Get Out. Um, I, I like Get Out a lot. I loved Us, but Nope is just like another level. It's so good. But I would want Jordan Peele on because I've been a oh fan God, of him yeah. since I've been a kid with with Mad TV. Yeah, and I know and I've heard him in an interview saying that. He's always wanted to do horror, but the comedian, the the comedy thing kind of was like yeah. how he would get his foot into the position he's in now. He did it, yeah. And I think he's he's fucking killing it, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I hope he just, uh, you know, you see somebody, you see a lot of directors and artists will get, like, big, and then they'll kind of use it as a jumping off point, and you'll see them, like, do, you know, superhero movies, that kind of thing. I really want Jordan Peele to just keep pumping out these original horror movies, at least Me a couple too. more, because they're such a, uh, a gift. And Nope is, oh my God, it's so good. It's I like so how he, th- this is this. I just got to put this out there. This is probably going to sound like I'm pandering. I'm not, but I yeah. really do love how he focuses on black horror because he could yeah. take, he could take quote unquote the easy way out, but he just does what he wants. Yeah, and it, it it shows. It's his, and again, David Morell's um, the uh, successful novelist talks about like don't be an imitator. The only yep. way you're going to stick out is being yourself. Like he's doing what he wants, and it, it's yeah, it, it's so creepy the shit he does. Yeah, he obviously got to a point, you know, with the with the comedy and and establishing himself, and then what a what a clockwork script he had for Get Out. It was it's so it's pitch perfect. And how well that movie did. Um, he's obviously built himself up to this position where he can do these original projects that are fully him. And he has become the name that is drawing people and not just whatever the movie is doesn't really matter. Like yeah. it, It's his name that's bringing people in now. And, and I love how... Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. I love how um, people were... 
I don't know who exactly it was, but at one point he had to make it very clear. This is not a thriller. This is not yep. whatever. This is horror. Yep. This I am. A, I'm creating horror movies. Like yeah. he's, he's one of us, man. Yeah. It's you see, true. You see people, like, you know, the, they'll hedge their bets and say like, it's a thriller or, or this or that, you know, like the horror is a dirty word in a lot of circumstances um, because it has all these connotations with a lot of people who are not really, you know, involved in that whole thing. Um, so yeah, it's lovely seeing him, him, him do that. And uh, Nope is amazing. Um, yeah. Like I was saying, if Nope was the only horror movie that came out this year, that'd be amazing. But you know, we had barbarian, another horror movie from a comedian. Uh, first Speaking timer. of tall women. Yeah. Yeah. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. But uh, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, smile was extremely solid. There's just been a ton of really, really good stuff. Um, I had a, I've had a great time this year. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was before I forget. If yeah. it was if it was like straight up like horror movies, I, the three I would pick. There's two that I grew up with that I just can't get. I can't stop watching it. Is yeah. uh, one of my favorites is the remake of uh, House on Haunted Hill with oh, Geoffrey yeah. Rush. The uh, the Dark Castle in the nineties one. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine remake. Man, yeah. Uh, I just love that movie so much. It's super creepy still to this day. And then. Uh, 13 ghosts which i was is, gonna say 13 ghosts would be mine from that that company yeah that yeah. that too and then um the other one would be the 1990 remake of uh night of the living dead i just it's, oh yeah you got bill mosley you got tony todd you got it being run by tom savini i mean yeah that on. one gets uh does not get the 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 appropriate praise it deserves i think the 90s as as a whole kind of gets Swept aside as a bad time for horror. It's got and so it, many good choices, though. It's got, you know, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. It's got Candyman. It's got Exorcist 3, which is one of the greatest movies, period, ever made. Not even yeah, a horror. Legion. Le- yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. It's a, it's such a good movie. It is a good um, movie. Yeah, ni- 90s horror is, is supreme. Plus, plus Scream 1 and 2. Uh, I can't Scream remember 3. I, I can't, can't remember if I like the third one or not. I like a lot of the third one, I think, uh, but it's no, it's nowhere near the first two, but uh, it, it's yeah. okay. Um, so for, you know, lack of knowing this is mm-hmm. Halloween, a big thing now in Canada. What was it? Oh, yeah. when You were younger. Um, I think it's uh, a little bit less. So at least where I'm, I'm living. Um, I think it, I mean, it was huge when I was a kid. Cause I was out in the suburbs. I was in a small town. I was in Oshawa, which is this really rinky-dink little town outside of Toronto. And mm. now, I'm, now I've been in Toronto, obviously, like the last sixteen or seventeen years around that. And um, it's it's less it's less prevalent in the big city because parents don't want to bring their kids out. If you're living on a major intersection, which I was for like the last ten years, you won't see anybody. Um, and I just moved into off uh, into a side street, so I'm like really psyched to like maybe go get the big the big hard home hardware skeleton. Uh, the big 12 inch 12 foot skeleton i've seen those uh, this is so cool yeah uh decorate everything and 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 try and get some trick-or-treaters coming by but excuse me i would say that it is it is still you know in the right area is still quite a big thing um that's really neat you know uh, i just want to mention i thought you would find this neat too is a uh, yeah spirit halloween i just found out like a, a month ago that it started in the town that's right next to where I live in New Jersey, it started oh, yeah. in the eighties and I passed by this bill. I told my wife and she's like, you drive by the building every day, the headquarters. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm like, I just thought that that was kind of like a building. I didn't think it was the headquarters of where it all began. 
Oh, uh, they kind of all kinds of cool, like one-off Halloween, di- like the the prototypes where they have them in the basement, like testing them out. You got to get in there. <laughs> I got to break in. I work yeah. for the county, so that'll be my bullshit. Ex- I had a boss that said, uh, um, basically with parking, t- he doesn't work there anymore. So I I feel okay to say this, but he yeah. uh, he said that I could park somewhere that was not a parking spot on Main Street. He's like, yeah. I, I said, what about the cops? He goes, oh, we work for the county. I, I just think that's such a stupid idea. <laughs> but in this case, I'm going to use that for an excuse. <laughs> just get a U-Haul and pull up there and and just unload all their, uh, you know, weird scarecrows and, and giant skeletons and whatnot. I'd love that. Trevor Henderson told me to do it. Who? <laughs> yeah. The scary, no. creepy siren head guy. We never talked about it. It's fine. <laughs> Brandon, go ahead, buddy. All right, so I, I want to make sure we uh, squeeze in a couple questions that got yeah, posted yeah. on Twitter. Um, so first one is from John Durgan. He uh, just released his his debut novel, The Cursed Among Us. It's it's really really great. Oh, I, I heard recommend. of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. awesome, man. You'd love it. You'd love oh, it. It's cool. got that kind of like small town. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't want to. I always compare small town stuff to Salem's Lot, but it, it does do small <laughs> town group of kids uh, cool, cool, cool. very well. I'm right um, now. Okay, cool. So. John uh, says he wants to know, do you come up with folklore for your creations before drawing them to help inspire their appearance? Uh, He also says that his son regularly convinces his daughter that cell towers and telephone poles are spawned from siren head, which he (laughs) finds that hysterical. And he wants to know if that makes him a bad dad. Yes, it does, John. Sorry. (laughs) So the real question is folklore for your creations. (laughs) Firstly, he should say that the uh, the cell towers and telephone pe- poles aren't spawned from Siren Head. They're Siren Heads to be, and that'll keep Ooh. the kids away from them. Uh, but to answer is... <laughs> That's so fucking creepy, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know, right? Which one's going to pop up? Um, they look but, the uh, same. <laughs> uh, no, I, um, I, I do not do that. I have never done that. I always start from a photo i have like a big folder of photos people have kindly donated through social media or other places um on my phone on my computer so i'll pick a i'll pick a photo and then on the spot without any pre-sketching or or any kind of pre-visualization i'll 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 just draw something in there and kind of let it form as it does i guess um and maybe throw it out a couple times until i get something i like there you know do all the effects make it make it fit shadow lighting all that and then when that's done then I'll write up a prompt, which is often incredibly vague on purpose, just kind of to be spooky. Um, and only then, once I've drawn that one character more a, a couple times and kind of spitballed it, then you know the, the connective tissue, like the lore, might might build up a little bit. And it really depends on which uh, creature. Like some of them have pretty extensive lore, and others just I wanted to get a, a feeling across or a specific um mood even i don't know uh so there's like nothing there really so it it all depends um yeah and and yeah siren head has a decent amount of lore and and some of the other more popular ones because they've been around longest and um been been more popular i guess so um necessity has has had to be like that i i i think about it a little more i guess on youtube there is a short called siren head versus uh the creatures from um Oh man, uh, that movie! Fuck the silent monster movie. I'm oh, to... uh, a quiet place. That's it. Oh, really? Okay. It's got over yeah. five million views, man. Yeah, I've never put a single thing on on YouTube. Everything that's on YouTube is just just fan stuff. Um, there's some wild 
wild shit. If you if you search Siren Head on, on YouTube, it's been like garbled up by the by those algorithms that just make weird computer content for children. Those things those things are real evil. I don't like those at all. They feel they feel strongly evil. Oh, uh, I thought you were making a joke. No, no, like no, dick. no, 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 not at all. No, I mean, I, you know, the you, you see these weird videos where like just like the Hulk is fighting Spider-Man is fighting Siren Head for kids and they're just n- nightmares. I, I don't like them at all. <laughs> That's weird. I wasn't Siren, weird. In, wasn't Siren Head in Fallout 3? Yeah, he was. Um, there was I fucking was, knew I saw him in that, man. I knew that before I even knew you. Wow. That's yeah, weird. someone made a mod that happened. That was like one of like three or four things that happened right when Siren Head blew up, and they all happened within the same week. And that's why he kind of became viral in, in whatever ways that he became viral. Um, but yeah, he popped up in Fallout. They never asked me about that, but still, <laughs> uh, man, that cr- holy shit! I'm not kidding, man. I didn't know that until I just knew we were talking about it. But like. Yeah. I don't play video game. I got an N64 and NES and a Wii. I barely play them anymore because I dedicate my time to the sh- yeah. creative time to the podcast in my own writing. But um, my point is, is when I was playing a whole lot, when I played Fallout, I thought it was Fallout 3, whatever the fuck one it was. Yeah. That was some Over, time ago. Yeah, one of those. Yeah. That was some time ago, man. And that creeps me out. Holy shit. Yeah, that was, was 2018, like- I think. This is like the time that I realized that Joe Lansdale had been a fan of him since I was a kid because of the Batman, um, the ba- animated Batman scripts that he wrote and some other animated stuff. Nice. Wow. So, okay, that's fucking cool. I've been a fan of your work longer than I knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Uh, yeah, I can't believe that he, that character has been around for four years in all these weird ways. <laughs> I, I can't get over it because it, sh- it, it, it. I was playing that in the daytime. And Fallout is such a fun game, but like, yeah, boy, that was that stood out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brennan, uh, you got another question from Brian? Yeah, McCauley, one more. Uh, this is from Brian McCauley. He uh, wrote first. a book called uh, Curse of the Reaper, which I think came out about a week ago. Yep. Um, oh, cool. Can you share about a mentor who gave you early encouragement at a pivotal stage of your journey into the arts? I mean, that's gotta be just my dad. Honestly, he's just, he completely propelled me and directed me um, for all the horror stuff that I love now in every possible way. Uh, Yeah. Besides that, uh, you know, I've had, you know, all my university teachers were just kind of like, they didn't know what the hell I was doing with any of this stuff. So none of those guys, but I think I would say my dad early and then, um, just when I started doing horror art on social media, on Twitter, like, you know, just the friends that I've made through, um, other horror artists, uh, have been really like, uh, inspirational and, uh, motivational to keep going. Is there any, this might be an unfair question. Is there mm. any artists that you would particularly like to shout out? Because for me, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about this guy all day. Um, just like I love your artwork, Justin T. Coons is just. Oh yeah, I know him. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, he's he's really good. Um, there are so many off the top of my head. There's an artist called Plastaboo. I don't know his his actual name, but you should look up his stuff. Holy Plasterboo. shit, Pla- uh, Plastaboo, like plastic. Um, it's incredible and like totally unique style. Um, and I remember that was someone I found really early and, uh, really responded to, 
there's an artist uh, who goes by JRG Drawing, I believe. JRG Drawing or JRG Art, who does really beautiful, like really moody, dark, dark horror art. Um, and probably one of the most inspirational artists on, that I came across online is a guy who goes by Cinema Mind David, all one word. Um, Did you say cinema or cinnamon? Yeah, cinema, like a, the film. Cinema Mind David. Um, his name is David Romero, and he does just, he is in, incredibly, incredibly talented. It's its ridiculous. Um, he, he'll just pump out like full animations. Um, really? He's never on social media. Like he'll, you won't see him talking or, or talking about movies or anything. And he'll just, he'll just log on once every two months and drop like a pile of the best art you've ever seen, like horror art, and then just disappear <laughs> again. Just full, he's like full mo- animated movies and concept art pieces. Incredible. I'll tell you who another one that got me when I was a kid who I still think is incredibly unique and hits every creepy, airy spot. And that's David Finch, who he's probably most notably known for salad fingers, but oh yeah, yeah. Does a lot more than that. Last I knew he was trying to work on this feature called the Man in the Prairie or some I know I know of it, I think. Yeah. I just want that movie because he's he I tried to get him on the show of the first season or whatever. He's like, oh, send me some links. And uh yeah. I never heard back from him. Oh no. <laughs> hope uh I hope he circles back on that. Oh on man, show. I'd love to pick his brain. He's he's I see some interviews. He's really I can't tell if he's playing a character or not, but either way, I I, I want to talk to him. I wouldn't put it past him. It really uh <laughs> seems like his vibe to put on a, a little bit of a persona. Out of the blue, but it reminded me of this time when I worked at a local grocery store in Massachusetts uh, called Roach Brothers. <laughs> and I was talking to a friend that worked in uh, Mansfield's Roach Brothers. And that's right in the same town. That That's where Steve Carell and, and Steven Tyler are from, right, Brennan? Or is that Mansfield? Uh, I had no idea that Steve Carell was from Mansfield or even that area. He's from He's from Massachusetts. You could be right. Yeah. It's one of those towns that starts with an M. I think it's Mansfield. I might be mixing it up with one that's nearby. Anyways, the point is, is my friend saw he was working at the store and he saw Steven Tyler come in that area, which he, you know, he did sometimes. And um, he just walked one way and his girlfriend or whatever walked, walked the way? other way <laughs> <laughs> to get her attention. He just started making these weird bird sounds. <laughs> and I go, whoa, what's up with that, man? He goes, I'm not sure. But when you're at that level, you could just probably do whatever the fuck you want. And <laughs> you, you, you can just do it for your own entertainment. I'm like, that's yeah. funny as hell. Yeah. I mean, at, at worst, you know, uh, you have a story about Steven Tyler making bird noises. He's <laughs> just dropping stories for everybody as he goes. And sure. I know that uh, I don't know if they got Red Robins up there, just a burger restaurant. But I know yeah. he in Foxborough, you know, uh, right next to in the area of the New England Patriots Stadium, they got all these restaurants. And he just hung out one day. One night he was there just with a harmonica playing. And I just can't even imagine seeing like I love Steven Tyler. I'm a fan of Aerosmith. So I couldn't imagine yeah. just a just a musician that you like. Stumbling upon him. Yeah. You don't have to pay for it just for the burger and beer or whatever. Yeah. God, yeah, Brennan. <laughs> Brennan, do you want to go to the uh, outro questions? Sure. Fun story. My um, <laughs> my best friend growing up, his mom Aerosmith played at her graduation before wow. they were like big. Nice. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So we're we talking <laughs> yeah. about like seventy eight. 
Ah, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I'm not going to guess his mom's age. That would be rude. Don't (laughs) say that on air. Yeah. Yeah. So, Trevor, what are you currently reading? I know it's probably like a cartful. (laughs) Yeah, I I have a literal, I don't know if you can actually see it over, where is it? Oh, no, I can't show you. It's over there. I have a whole library cart just absolutely like loaded to the gills with stuff. Um, Right now I'm reading, uh, it's right here. Hold on. Reading uh, Dark Harvest by oh, yeah. Norman Partridge, and it is incredible. Um, and I, I just, the cover. yeah, the cover is amazing. And I just thought today a few things uh, Other Terrors anthology. Um, I got this arc from Philip Francassi. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've only yeah. read, um, you like that one. I've only read Sakalina by him, but I loved it so much. Um, I've got the Alan Moore book right now. Cool. Um, yeah, just stacks and stacks. I got. I wanted a physical copy of this because it's so. It's a classic. Greener Pastures. Yeah. So good. Um, and then I got this folk horror collection, uh, Damnable Tales, which is really good too. Holy um, shit, that's a thick book. <laughs> I know. This is just the, this is the top of my top of my cart um uh, but uh, probably after dark harvest i'll read anybody home because i really want to read that oh okay yeah that's yeah. a fun one yeah i know nice well, i mean it's not a it's not like i was gonna say book. fun is a weird way to put it yeah, it's a weird book <laughs> i feel like michael would be okay with that but he'd be like i don't think that's the right word yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> brian, brian what are you currently reading um i'm about halfway through um friend of the show john lynch is putting out his debut novel uh the warrior retreat uh and it, it's really cool so far john was uh, a marine and served in oh crap i'm gonna get it wrong but i think he served in iraq um, yeah he would be he he'd probably be too young for uh, afghanistan yeah um and so he writes kind of this um mixture of military action horror and extreme horror yeah, uh, and and it does. It starts out first third of the book or so is, um, I, you know, I, I I hate to call it straightforward, but like it's it it's certainly what you would expect uh, right. from military horror, but with this supernatural, oh, this this subtle supernatural thread running through it. But then you know once once that third of the book is over, it it goes a little deeper into okay now this unit, um, and I won't spoil you know what goes on, but this unit is back and they're dealing with the aftermath of war. And again, that like subtle supernatural thread. It's very interesting. It's not, you know, you, you throw out military horror and, and it's like, okay, I know what I'm getting. And this, this is kind of saying, no, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't. Not quite. And I am so excited to talk about this book. Um, Midas by Tyler Jones. This is coming out from earthling. Um, next Halloween. Um, and I oh, am shit, really, I didn't know wow. it was that far away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I would be shocked if by next Halloween, uh, you didn't also have information cause that's going to be a limited hardcover release. Um, I would be shocked if by the time that comes out from earthling, you don't have information about a, uh, another publisher it's lined up with, cause this is a fantastic book. I'm, uh, about a hundred pages into it and it's, it's it, it's hard to describe, but it's it's got this kind of like contemplative, bleak, 
almost Cormac McCarthy quality to it, Ooh. but it it moves. It's got short chapters. It's very very hard to put down. It's you know it's um. It, <laughs> When, when I write a book with short chapters, they, they've they got this like bang you over the head, not subtle cliffhangers to them. Yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, instead of like the entire string section going, boom, you know, yeah. and like leaving you on that note, this is like a subtle piano melody at the end that wants you to just take on that next chapter. Um, oh. I, I, I love it. And I cannot wait to just dive into the rest of it. That sounds great. Yeah, it does. And um, I didn't even tell you what it's about, so yeah, no, no, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I'll be looking up that afterwards. So just uh, to kind of throw this back to uh, Laura, their first book, their debut, Inside Out. I read it already. I think I finished it last week. I Before. can't wait to read that. I have it waiting for me. Uh, uh, it's part of a book subscription. I, I have it at a um, horror bookstore in Toronto, but I cannot oh, cool. wait to pick it up. Yeah. I just yeah, want to give that bookstore a shout out because they're, they're oh, doing yeah. some awesome things. Yeah, so that is a little ghost's books in Such Toronto. A cool title, man. They are uh, already indispensable. They are on Twitter, I think, as Little Ghosts. Um, but you know, if you search around, you can find just search Little Ghost Books, and they do a excuse me a subscription service that you can hop on, and uh, you get two books. I think a, a soft cover and a hard cover. And then a bunch of stickers and cool extra items, bookmarks and stuff every month. And then you can just walk down and pick them up and whatever else you want to throw on. And uh, this month coming, or no, maybe it is this, maybe it's October. Yeah, it's October. Laura's book, Inside Out, is is one of the two books. And I cannot wait to read it. I have an illustration, uh, especially goopy illustration in that book for one of the stories. I was really happy to to be asked to do that. I loved uh, it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to read it. Uh, yeah. looks great. Um, yeah, and I think you'll dig the other illustrations in there. They really add a lot to it. I know that Jonathan LaMancha does some, uh, does an illustration for it and his work is amazing. He does this ultra, ultra detailed like line work. Um, you've probably seen it from me retweeting it. He also did the cover for another book. I'm really excited to read called, uh, Krom Krok, Krom Krok. Have you heard of that one? Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, from yeah. uh, Tenebrous. Tenebrous, yeah. Um, that looks incredible. But it's the same sort of uh, kind of illustration style, which is this the details, uh, just horrible flesh and, and gristle and teeth, but just like the most minute detail you've ever seen in your life. His style is amazing. Isn't that sounds that does sound amazing? Isn't Alex uh, one of the ones that run? Yeah, uh, Alex and uh, Matt Blairstone, Alex Woodrow and Matt Blairstone do she- Tenebrous. But she's from yeah. Canada, isn't she? Oh, she's from Romania. Oh, shit. Not even close. <laughs> Not even on the same continent. No. <laughs> so moving on, what am I reading? <laughs> yeah. I'm jumping around all over the place, man. Um, I do that a lot. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually not done, but I'm finishing up The Successful Novelist by David Morrell. Um, yeah. Luckily, got through a majority of it before last night's episode. Um. Also on audio, Blood Meridian. Uh, Ooh, nice. That's a, it's my first Cormac McCarthy, and it's super fucking weird, and I knew that going <laughs> in. Yeah. Um, there's this one book by, uh, just like Laura, another non-binary author. Um, it is called The Real J.R. Tolkien. Oh, God, interesting. It's hard to, it's out of focus, but I got it's, it. It's by Jesse Zander, and they're just, uh, I believe it's an anthropologist so they're looking through the lens of anthropy 
uh, of Middle Earth. And it's just a really interesting way to approach that world. Um, also, I'm going to be diving into to prep for Chuck Wendig in two episodes, mm. uh, Wayward and Wanderers. Um, they are massive books. So, Brennan, I was going to say good luck. That. I'm uh, I'm 250 pages into uh, into Wayward, and I'm barely a quarter of the way through. <laughs> yeah, I want to read those, but then every time I, I see them, it's like a doorstop. They're and very intimidating. Like, I don't have the time. <laughs> they could be used as a weapon. We know you that. could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me the novellas, the, the the slim little volumes I can punch out and then feel good about reading a book and finishing it. <laughs> Those books are fucking big, man. They're, yeah. they're, they can compete with Peter Straub's book. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, which is interesting because he, you know what, Straub did say that his favorite book that he ever wrote was The Throat, and his publisher had told him that um, the that came out in, I want to say the 80s, but I could be off a few years. Uh, I feel like it. Yeah, his publisher told him that uh, the length of the book is proportional to how many people are actually going to be interested in it, meaning that his long, very long books, very thick books are not going to do well sales wise. But then I look at people like Chuck Wendig and I'm like, yeah. ah, he's doing pretty good. Doing <laughs> yeah. well. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, sir, where can people follow you? Because obviously no one knows where yeah. to follow you. <laughs> right? uh, there's only a so- few hundred thousand people following you. <laughs> Somehow. Uh, yeah, that is true. Uh, if you want just my art, then Instagram is the best place. I post any notable uh, big projects, but that's just the streamlined art feed. Sure. Uh, my Instagram is Trevor Henderson, all one word. Uh, but if you want my art, plus all the retweets of people that I like and whatever bullshit I happen to be reading or watching or playing at that time, then you want to follow me on Twitter. And my Twitter is Slimy Swamp Ghost, all one word. Why'd you pick that name? I don't know. I think I needed I needed a name that was like catchy in a specific way, and that was not taken. And I'm I'm just happy that I'm still pretty okay with it now, like f- fucking ten years on or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of uh, become my weird brand on there, so it's it's sticking around. But yeah, slimy swamp ghost uh, on Twitter. <laughs> and if you switched it to at Trevor Henderson, yeah, somebody else would snatch up. Slimy Swamp Ghost, and you'd miss yeah. it. Yeah, you'd miss I, it. I would immediately miss it. I can't ever leave it behind. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're looking for us, that headspace, it's uh, really anywhere you can find um, our show, TikTok, Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Twitter. Just look at Dead Headspace. Except for Twitter, there's an underscore between Dead and Headspace because some asshole that hasn't used it since 2013 uh, took that name. <laughs> Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Me? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, do you have no, any no, I don't think so. Uh, just that um, I, this was super fun. And I'm happy you asked me on. And uh, yeah, you guys are great. Thanks, man. You too. And we, yeah. like I said uh, about your Scholastic book, we would love to promote that, man, when, when you're ready. As soon as I have something that is in any way readable, I will make sure that it, it ends up in your... Uh, your inbox amazing uh, hopefully with some illustration work on there too <laughs> uh, brennan final thoughts sir uh, obviously we thank you for your time this was yeah. this was a lot of fun and you know i just want to double down on how appreciated it is um 
you kind of sharing what you're reading, what you're watching, and yeah. really promoting uh, a lot of indie authors. The one that always comes to mind, not that Haley Piper needs any help getting her name uh, out there now, yeah. but I think of, you know, Benny Rose and you reading that book, connecting with it and saying, here's what Benny looks like. Um, yeah. That I, I that that's always something that's going to stick with me because, you know, she she's always been a great writer, but she didn't always quite have the reach that she has right this minute. And yeah. Oh, my you, God. You so well deserved. Up and and so oh, many yeah. other authors that have, you know, written books that you connected with. Yeah, I got a A, I have to read more and B, I have to do more fan art for books because I love seeing fan art for books. And it's of the various, you know, games, movies that gets fan art. You, you don't see horror fiction getting so much and it's so well deserved um i gotta do more of that i love doing that that's really cool uh my final thoughts are first off um just gonna say one of my best friends ever mason uh i know he'll appreciate it because i text him a picture of all three of us in the beginning and he said that he's fanboying so i I know that he'll appreciate (laughs) it and that means a lot to me yeah and i just uh Man, I I was like kind of nervous tweeting you in the first place, but no, I, no, I genuinely I didn't I don't know who's gonna reply, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can't gauge this shit, so <laughs> I appreciate you being so kind-hearted and just we've had great conversations, man. So I appreciate it. Yeah, this is so fun, and yeah, I find like you just gotta like you know shoot your shot, and and I think ninety nine percent of the time it's just someone checking their inbox and being like, yeah, sure, this sounds cool. You know, it's never. Yeah. I'll tell you what, yeah. uh, next year sometime, it'd be real cool if we had you and a bunch of other artists that you want on to uh, do it. Oh, work. yeah. That would be amazing. I would love that. Yeah. Let's make uh, it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Ping me ping me around there. We'll we'll do, we'll do make it happen, for sure. Right, a reminder. Uh, listeners, viewers, next episode, 170 is with Mark Allen Gunnels. And after that, it's Chuck Wendig, followed by Tananarive Reeve Dew. So we are in for an exciting uh, ending half of wow. season three. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be nervous to talk to Tanana Reeve. Yeah. Probably, you know, just a, just a lot bit. Um, listeners, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. Happy Halloween. Ha, 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 ha.